1: Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
2: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound
3: On. Middle-income families need help. Uh, we're coming out of COVID-19. We want to keep our economy strong.
4: When you have an infrastructure bill, there's spin-offs of that. There's spin-offs in cities and towns all across America.
1: Bloomberg
2: Sound On: Politics, Policy, and Perspective from DC's top names.
1: We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. I do believe the
5: vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is is to share the science, share the
0: facts. Share the benefits.
2: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where there are so many questions and in some quarters outrage over the chaos in Afghanistan. Over the next hour, we will seek answers with help from Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts and Iraq War veteran. We'll also talk with retired Air Force General David Deptula, who led the air operations over Afghanistan and the outset of Operation Enduring Freedom. Analysis coming up from the panel. Today we have Bloomberg Politics contributor Shi and Zeno, as well. Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory. He's former communications director at the National Republican Congressional Committee. So we've got our bases covered. We're watching history unfold once again today in Afghanistan as the Taliban settles into the presidential palace in Kabul. And the American military takes control of Kabul's Hamid Karzai Airport, known as H Kaya.
6: We have had no hostile interactions, no attack and no threat uh, by the Taliban. We remain vigilant. We also have not experienced any additional security incidents at H Kaya. As Major We've General had Hank had no Taylor briefing
2: reporters today at the Pentagon hours before White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke from the White House about the thousands of people waiting
4: to be evacuated. At the end of the day, the question is, can we effectively evacuate those people who we intend to evacuate? And that is what we are planning for and executing against beginning today where the airport is secure. The flights are going. The people are coming. And we will continue to do that in the days ahead.
2: Sullivan adding the U.S. is in talks with the Taliban now to keep the airport open and ensure safe passage for those trying to leave the country, including civilians, including our Afghan allies. And that is where we begin today with Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts and one of the most outspoken veterans on Capitol Hill, a Marine who served four combat tours in Iraq. Congressman, welcome to Bloomberg Radio.
7: Good to be here, Joe. Thanks.
2: I have a number of questions for you, Congressman, but I'd like to start with the difficulty that we've had evacuating our Afghan allies, which I know you have been talking about for a couple of months now. I was Recalling a hearing you had with the defense secretary on this some time ago, I just left the White House briefing with Jake Sullivan. He says it is our responsibility to get them all out safely. He would not speculate on a timetable for that to happen. And I wonder at this point, after everything we've seen the past several days, do you believe America will get everyone out who wants to get out?
7: It's going to be very difficult at this point, And that's why I've been calling on the administration for months now to begin the evacuation? That was my very first question to the Secretary of Defense in the hearing you mentioned. I said, why have you not begun this evacuation already? The problem now is not just getting people off the ground from Kabul Airport, whether we have the airlift capacity, it's getting them to Kabul Airport when the Taliban control the country. Jake Sullivan has gotten out there as national security advisor and said that we have an obligation to get these people out. I want to hear a more specific plan, and I want to hear a commitment to stay until it's done.
2: Do you believe the administration has a clear understanding of what's going on the ground right now?
7: It sounds like they have a much better understanding than they did a few days ago, that's for sure. And if you think about it, let's give credit where credit is due. But the situation is under much better control now than it was just 24 hours ago. My concern, of course, is that it could get far worse. The Taliban have, for some reason, decided not to massacre civilians, not to uh, try to attack Kabul airport, or even simply shoot down the planes that are taking off. That could change in a heartbeat. You can't trust the Taliban. I think if America knows anything from the last 20 years, it's that. So the administration deserves credit for stabilizing the situation for right now, but because they're so behind on planning this evacuation operation and starting it. I don't know if it's going to get done uh, in the next few weeks um, and if it's going to be effective at the end of the day.
2: Control of that airport has been an issue. It appears, as we understand from the Pentagon, that things have been secured and that we're working to get a, a flight out per hour. Based on what you've seen with the 82nd Airborne on the ground, do you believe that we can hold that airport for the rest of the month? And and will the Taliban allow us to do what we need to do?
7: Well, as we always say in the Marines, don't forget that the enemy has a vote. If the Taliban continue their present posture, which is just to essentially maintain order outside the airport and not try to disrupt operations within, then yes. We probably can stay. If the Taliban decide to conduct an offensive against the airport or do any other number of disruptive things, that could be a real problem. And let's not forget that there are thousands upon thousands of our Afghan allies elsewhere in Afghanistan who have not yet made it to Kabul airport who need to be evacuated. Uh, by some reports, there's still five or 10,000 Americans throughout Kabul and surrounding areas who have not yet gotten to Kabul airport. Is the Taliban just going to escort them onto the airport so they can leave? I find that very hard to believe. I talked to uh, an Afghan American whose wife is, is sheltered in the basement of her house in Afghanistan right now, trying to figure out how she can get to Kabul airport to be evacuated. Candidly, we're at a loss for what to do.
2: With that said, is it right that America is talking with the Taliban? Should we, in fact, be negotiating with them right now?
7: You have to talk with your enemies. I mean, this is a point that uh, presidents have made uh, throughout history. It's not pleasant, uh, it's not easy, but you have to talk with your enemies. And I think the administration deserves some credit uh, for whatever talks have been going on so far, because I'm sure that's a part of why. The Taliban has not assaulted the airport or otherwise uh, conducted large scale massacres of uh, Americans or uh, our Afghan allies, which they certainly are within their power to do so again, this could get far worse before it gets better, but the administration deserves credit uh for riding the ship at least where we are speaking today. Mm-hmm.
2: We're talking with Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, and I'm reading your statement uh, that you released yesterday, Congressman. As as one of the combat veterans in Congress, you're pointing out that this tragedy must serve as a wake-up call to Congress, which of course holds, as you write, the ultimate constitutional responsibility for sending our best and brightest to war on the nation's behalf. Years ago, I know, Congressman, you were calling for a new authorization of force. We've been working on the same one for a couple of different conflicts now. How does that need to change based on what we're seeing now, this this moment in history, this inflection point as we leave Afghanistan? And do you think that there will be a more deliberate debate about using armed forces because of what we're seeing now?
7: Well, I certainly hope so. There are so many people in Congress right now who just want to blame the president for what's going on. Uh, When we in Congress uh, bear a tremendous amount of responsibility ourselves. In fact, according to the Constitution, we bear ultimate responsibility for the wars that we conduct uh, uh, with our nation, with our nation's young people. So, what needs to happen is we have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan or where we should go next or how we should best use the resources that we have. That debate needs to be held in open before the American people, and then more Americans will understand why we're in a place like Afghanistan in the first place. One thing you hear about throughout the country is that people don't understand why why we were there or, or even know that until the most recent news that we still were there. Well, that's because Congress has failed to have this debate and communicate a real rationale to the American people. We owe it to our troops, to our allies, and to everybody in America, every American citizen who pays through these wars through their tax dollars, to have this discussion about why we're in a place like Afghanistan. And there are good reasons to be there. There are also good reasons to leave. But in a democracy, the point is you have to have that debate. And Congress, for years now, has been afraid to do it.
2: You went on to write that the failure to hold votes for reauthorizing this conflict for the last two decades means that all of us, you write, all of us in Congress should be ashamed. You include yourself in that?
7: Absolutely. As a veteran, someone who's not afraid to take responsibility uh, for my actions, I've been spending much of the last 72 hours racking my brain to think if there is something more I could have done. Something more I could have done to force this debate in Congress something more I could have done to convince the administration to follow my advice and start this evacuation earlier so we wouldn't see the chaos that's been unfolding at Kabul airport over the last couple of days. I don't know an answer to that, Joe. I don't know if there is more I could do. But my point is that I'm not afraid to ask that question. And I'm not afraid to, to sit here a bit ashamed that I wasn't more successful in helping the administration and helping Congress do the right thing.
2: Well, I'm going to guess, Congressman, that that's because you've been there. You've you've actually fought in combat. You have a different perspective. Is that true?
7: Well, I think it is. And one of the things you'll see in Congress, despite all the, the bitter partisanship that is such a part of politics today, you'll see a united consensus among veterans on both sides of the aisle that we should be having a debate about the authorization for the use of military force. That's the technical term for having a debate about the vote to go to war. Mm -hmm. We should be having that discussion. And you've seen uh, bipartisan groups of uh, veterans and a bipartisan group of veterans in Congress uh, under Democrat and under Republican presidents uh, calling for this discussion, calling for this debate and saying that we can't, doing what we've been doing for 20 years under the rationale from 2001. We've got to have a fresh debate with the American people to justify why we continue sending Americans into harm's way.
2: Congressman Moulton, you went on to write in your statement a message to our Afghan veterans and their families. And you said, quote, I'm too honest to stand here today and try to convince you that your sacrifice was worth it. That's Quite a statement. What did you mean by it?
7: There are many American veterans who will rightfully take pride in the work we were able to accomplish in Afghanistan. The millions of Afghan women and girls who experienced more freedom, liberty and opportunity than they ever would have experienced under the Taliban. The same is true for many Afghan men. The fact that we tracked down and killed Osama bin Laden, part of the initial reason for going there, and the fact that we've prevented terrorist attacks on the homeland from originating in Afghanistan for two decades. But seeing so much of what we fought for go to waste as the Taliban took over the country so quickly, I know many other veterans will say, why did we even go there in the first place? Mm -hmm. Why did my friend die? My point in saying that, Joe, is it's not for me to decide whether this was worth it. I know a lot of veterans are in anguish about that very question right now. but I will tell you, as the veteran of the as a veteran of the Iraq war, another war that's been widely criticized and criticized often for good reason, criticized by myself in fact, I'm proud. have gone so that no one had to go in my place. I'm proud to be from a country that sends Americans to fight for freedom all over the globe, to stand up for our values and be willing to share those values with other people, just as the Americans who stand defending freedom at Kabul airport are doing tonight.
2: As you say, others will ask that haunting question that you heard from your own Marines in Iraq, why are we here? So no one has to be in our place. And as someone who never served in the military, certainly combat congressman, that's a lesson for me. Is that as good as it gets?
7: I've always said that that's never an adequate answer, but it is true. And it's the best answer that I could give to my young Marines when, they asked me that haunting question. And a lot of us took solace in it. I did. I was proud to be over there so that someone else didn't have to go. We often forget that when people don't serve in the military, it's not just like there's an empty seat. Donald Trump dodged the draft for Vietnam. There wasn't just an empty position for Lieutenant Trump in Vietnam some other American had to take his place. He was probably black, undoubtedly poorer than Donald Trump. And we don't know if he's still alive today. But The lesson that we can't forget is that until we can figure out how to solve our conflicts without going to war, young Americans will have to bear that responsibility for all the rest of us. And we should be proud that so many brave Americans are willing to do that.
2: Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, we'd like to stay in touch with you as you renew the debate to authorize the use of force. And we thank you for your service. Thank you, Joe. It's a conversation you will not hear anywhere else today. But on Bloomberg Sound On. Let's bring in the panel for some reaction to what we just heard. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan Zeno is here, along with Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory, former communications director for the National Republican Congressional Committee. Thanks to both of you for being here. Jeannie. I'm going to start with you because you were rather critical of President Biden yesterday at this time. To hear a veteran like Seth Moulton, also a Democrat, speak existentially about our war commitment, to speak personally like that, Pulled us all out of the Washington bubble. And it reminded me of what we're talking about here, Jeannie. People, it's Americans, it's Afghanis. Are we going to get everyone out?
5: It did. I thought that was such a fascinating conversation because with everything we've been hearing and you and I have talked about over the last 72 hours, one conversation we haven't had is the one you just had with Congressman Moulton, which is so critical. And it has to do with Congress turning over after 2001 to the president, this authorization for the use of military force and the fact that we need a concerted conversation in this country about pulling that back and how we go forward with what the Constitution says. Is a shared power. The Congress has the power to declare war. That shouldn't be given to the president. And so this is something we have to talk about, and we haven't heard that. I think we do get most people out, at least I'm praying and hoping so, but that is going to be a huge charge, and I wish the administration was more clear on how they're going to do that.
2: Matt Gorman, you spend a lot of time around Congress, around Capitol Hill. What role should lawmakers be playing right now? We have been totally consumed with this infrastructure debate. When it comes to an authorization for use of force or even writing language around what's happening on the ground now, where do members of Congress come in?
3: Well, I think what you're going to hear in the next couple of days, you're already hearing it already, is what these members of Congress were told in classified sessions over the last you heard, for example, Mark Warner say we had warned the administration over and over again that this could happen, and they they shrugged it off. I think you're going to be hearing a lot of that and what was said behind closed doors. But I think in the in, in the, the days and, and, and weeks to come, I think you're going to probably see effort, whether it's led by Seth Moulton or or an Adam Kinzinger or others, to you're right reassert that role. And let's, let's remember, we were very close to to deauthorizing the uh, use of military force uh, from the war on terror that was passed, I believe, and it was late 2001. Um, and so, you know, does that get revisited? And, and how do we talk about that? I think there's going to be a lot for Congress to reassert in these next couple of weeks. And, and you're right. We talked a lot about infrastructure. especially infrastructure summer uh, events uh, had other ideas.
2: Jeannie, based on uh, the briefings that we got today from the Pentagon and from the White House, we heard from Jake Sullivan trying to answer some of the questions that we were all asking yesterday. It does appear that we have the airport under control, that there's security, at least in that immediate area. But we're also talking with the Taliban. And when Jake Sullivan was asked about that, he wouldn't speculate on how long we might have it. He made it sound like we were at the mercy of the Taliban in terms of timeline and whether we can get everyone out.
5: I think that's right. And of course, we have control of the military part of the airport. There's still the civilian part as well. And we are at the mercy of the Taliban at this point. And this is something that the United States should have been prepared for. It's a simple equation. What if they do take over faster than we thought and all of our people and the people who have helped us are not on, are not, are not out? What do we do then? It is astonishing to me that well after we try to leave, we are now battling with this and we are absolutely at their mercy. The Taliban deserve a little bit of credit, if you can say it, for how they've handled this so far, but there are no guarantees looking at you know recent and, and history going back that they will continue to be. Yeah. What do we do when human rights violations start? If they do, what do we do if they don't, if Americans are killed, God forbid, or others?
2: I'm not giving the Taliban credit yet here, Jeannie, but I do want to hear from John Kirby, spokesman for the Pentagon, who was asked today in his briefing, about talks ongoing between americans and the taliban
3: our commanders at uh, the airport um, are in communication with taliban commanders on the ground outside the airport Uh, there have been discussions there is communication uh, between them and, and us um, and I would just let the results speak for themselves. I'm not going to get into the details of, of how those discussions are progressing because uh, there are interactions uh, multiple times a day.
2: Matt Gorman, I asked Seth Moulton, the congressman, about that. He says you have to talk to your enemy. Are we doing the right thing there?
3: I mean, you have no choice. Uh, I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to. But you're, we have that. There's no choice. I mean, Kabul, uh, as, as I just read before coming on, the Taliban control all the checkpoints to uh, the airport. So, you know, everyone who's there already can maybe get out, but you've got to get past the Taliban and even get to the airport. Um, so you, you need to do whatever you need to do to get to get our folks out. I mean, this thing was bungled uh, absolutely by the Biden administration. Um, we, we've said it over and over again. But, you know, you got to fix it the best you can. I, I'm i hopeful you can get everybody out. But with Taliban controlling the process, it is going to be a mighty tough lift. So
2: what if we don't, uh, Jeannie? This is the test now. Jake Sullivan made it clear. We're not talking about The past at this point, we're focused on getting evacuees and then we'll have the hot wash and and see what we could have done better and, and see what we did. Well, this isn't up for negotiation, right? The United States needs to get this done.
5: We need to get this done, and you know, to Matt's point. I mean, let's be clear: if you are one of the lucky people who is in Kabul, in at the airport, maybe you have a chance at this point. But what about the people? And there's thousands of people who haven't even gotten that far. We are very much at the mercy of the Taliban at this point, and the United States has no choice now but to get this done. That requires working with the Taliban. But we should never have been in this position in the first place. You're right. There'll be time to talk talk about that going forward. But what I was so frustrated about yesterday with the president was he kept defending the decision to leave.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common...
4: Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City, Qatar, and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.
5: Versus explaining why that decision wasn't executed in the way it should have been. And that's got to be the focus.
2: Jeannie, how concerned are you at this point about women and girls in Afghanistan? And I ask you that because the Taliban has been trying to, I think to your point earlier, Try to express some sort of softer image that they've somehow evolved in the last 20 years. And and I guess that some women will be allowed to work. But there are many who are deeply concerned about what's going to happen, particularly uh, to younger women, some of whom were serving in the army.
5: I am very concerned and and we should be, Um, you know, one thing the United States and our allies were able to do over the last 20 years was we were able to help create a civil society in which women and girls and minorities of all kinds in Afghanistan could begin to be educated, flourish. I mean, in your business, for instance, many female presenters and reporters, all of that is, uh, you know, questionable at this point. Will they be able to continue doing that work?
2: Briefings all around the horn today in Washington, D.C., beginning earlier with the Pentagon, where we heard from spokesman John Kirby about working with, talking with the Taliban in an effort to keep the airport open and keep evacuees on track to get on an airplane.
4: We'll get to that when we can.
2: But the general is on the line. As I mentioned, coming in to talk with us, General David Deptula, former director of the Combined Air Operations Center for Operation Enduring Freedom, where he orchestrated air operations over Afghanistan. General, thanks for being with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. I wonder if you could start with what's happening at the airport there. You know a lot more about this than most people. We understand that the U.S. is in control, that we have security, and that we're going to be pushing basically one flight per hour into the air as long as we can to get people out. Do you have confidence in our logistics there and the security around the airport to try to get civilians out of Afghanistan?
5: Well,
6: Joe, first, thanks uh, very much for uh, giving me a holler and uh, uh, having the uh, opportunity to chat with you. Um, With respect to what's actually going on on the ground, obviously I'm not there, um, although I can tell you I've got Great confidence in the uh, airmen who are flying in those aircraft and the security forces that are protecting the airfield. Um, It's unfortunate that we've had to get to this point, um, which is perhaps something else we could uh, chat about. But I wanted to get across the point that in all the discussion, it's very important that we go back and look at how we got here uh, to make sure that um, the kinds of mistakes that occurred over the last 20 years. Uh, don't occur again in the future. Uh, so I think it's important to remind the audience that in 2001, as you mentioned in your, uh, your uh, run-up to our discussion, it was the measured application of air power that worked in conjunction with a handful of special ops folks who then partnered with the Afghan Northern Alliance and did in three months what the Northern Alliance themselves weren't able to do in the previous five years, and that was to remove the Taliban regime. But that was just one of three critical objectives that affected our security. The other two were supporting a new government that would protect the people of Afghanistan. And the big one for us was eliminating the al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. So we accomplished all those objectives by the end of December of 2001. Mm
2: -hmm. Should we have left then?
6: Well, that's what I was going to tell you is that the trillion-dollar questions, why did the U.S. And our coalition partners not then declare victory and say, see you later. Have a nice life. If you do it again, we'll be back. Hmm. I mean, that answer illustrates the importance of clearly defining U.S. security objectives and acting with the right kind of force to achieve them.
2: And knowing when to leave, General Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, uh, speaking today today. Uh, from the White House, went through a lot of components here and talked about, well, let's not relitigate the past. Let's focus on the evacuations and get people out of the country. He also said that we've proven in other areas of the globe that we can fight terror remotely, that we do not have to have a permanent base to do that. Would you agree? Uh,
6: uh, Look, it's a complex set of issues. The bottom line is uh it, it, to his bottom line, the direct answer to your question is is yes, but this is not a binary issue. The question is, well then, where the hell were you the last several months in the run up in the preparation um for your withdrawal uh, we We should not be doing strategy by counting the number of boots on the ground, which kind of goes back to my point. The reason that we were successful in 2001 was we brought something to the indigenous Afghan forces on the ground that they didn't have, and that's air power. The ability to watch, to do surveillance, intelligence, and reconnaissance from above, and then to strike critically at points that uh, would uh, overturn a negative situation into a positive one. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should have prepared to do. But what we saw um, was a situation and uh, a critical error of U.S. strategy that was perpetuated by four presidents and 20 years of U.S. Army leadership that dominated the U.S. military and who simply didn't learn the lessons of Vietnam.
7: Boy.
2: Now, General, you know about air superiority. If we were doing our job, would those have been airborne attacks should we be on the ground and be able to insert special forces? How should that work?
6: Well, it's a combination. I, I mean, the model that we used in 2001 was enormously successful. You know, a handful of folks on the ground. And by the way, after 20 years of working with the uh, Afghani military, you know, we, we could have reduced a significant number of personnel on the ground. Uh, but provided the key personnel, those that could assist in the uh, application of air power where it's important, and also provide the intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance that the Afghans themselves just simply can't accomplish because they don't have that equipment. So, you know, we we could have sustained a situation to protect our uh, vital interest, and that is to tamp down the uh, uh, counter-terrorist uh, uh, elements, um, yeah, we, we can do that. We're doing it all the way around, around, like you mentioned, we're doing that around the world today Yeah, with not a lot of fanfare and not with a lot of people on the ground. But again, 20 years of Army leadership that, you know, wanted to impose occupation uh, and try to turn a collection of 14th century tribes into a modern Jeffersonian democracy, That's unobtainium, and that's not the role of the U.S. military.
2: General David Deptula, former director of the Combined Air Operations Center for Operation Enduring Freedom. I wish I had more time with you, a fighter pilot with 3,000 hours in the air. Thank you for your service and for being with us on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio we 've heard from a member of Congress and an Air Force general we 've brought you sounds from the administration 's briefings today. Now we turn to the panel to talk policy and politics. Bloomberg politics contributor Jeannie Shee and Zeno is here today as well. Matt Gorman, Vice President, Matt targeted Victory, and former communications Director for the National Republican Congressional Committee. Thanks again to both of you for being here, Matt. Will Republicans support renegotiating or, or re-legislating a use of force, force authorization? Something we talked about with Congressman Moulton at the start of the hour after seeing the chaos that has come from our leaving Afghanistan.
3: Uh, I'm very skeptical that w- that we're going to renegotiate one to go back in. I, I think we're probably still on track, if not probably more advanced to, uh, to repeal the one that we were had already been talking about with the war on terror that was in progress. I mean, I mean look. I think Jeannie alluded to it before, right? Uh, Biden tried to make it a binary choice. I think to uh, you know obscure his own you know incompetence in the problem, where it was a choice between a forever war or you know uh, getting out the way it did. Where really the, the problem was in the middle, where you, they they did not plan for the evacuation appropriately. It's clear they did not have a plan to get Americans out. That's where the critique is. I don't foresee any more engagement aside from the 7,000 or so um, troops that are there right now, that with, the, with the plan to get our folks out.
2: To that end, uh, Matt, what should lawmakers be doing now, Republicans or Democrats for that matter, those who are criticizing the Biden administration's handling? There's another branch of government the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue. What can they do?
3: I, I think the biggest thing is, is something that they've quite frankly lacked, and that's serious oversight and investigation into what went wrong. I mean, as I said before, you had Mark Warner and Lindsey Graham and others, and John yeah. Rosso of both parties saying, we raised these you know, issues for months. How did they drop the ball, they being the Biden administration, so badly? And I think it's unfortunate. Uh, somebody made a very good point I heard the other day where, you know, some of the investigations and oversight that Cong- Congress does do, say the January 6th commission, it doesn't change any minds. Uh, and yet and it doesn't really investigate. It's more of just a political move where this has the opportunity to be the opposite, uh, and they need to take uh, the opportunity given to them.
2: So, Jeannie, should we start preparing for a Kabul commission? Are we going to have hearings uh, for the next several years on this?
5: I think we probably will. It's it's hard to believe we're going to add that to the plate of things that Congress is already going through this summer and this fall. But I, I think we will. I think we should. I think it is broader than what's happened in Afghanistan. I think it has to do with the role of the president and Congress and their relationship as it comes to making these kinds of decisions. And I thought your interview with the Air Force General was just fascinating because, amongst other things, he talked about The fact our objectives, as, as some people understood them, and there's debate there, were achieved by the end of 2001. That's something that we need to think about before we enter these kinds of conflicts. The other thing is, he talked about the lessons from Vietnam and how we still have not embraced and understood those. All of those things are discussions that Congress can lead, and of course, you know, in the media and education and elsewhere, but they're conversations we have to have. But one thing, and and I'm not sure who said it the Congressman or you or the General but, you know, I will tell you a lot of students in the last five years that I've spoken to yearly when you mentioned we were still at war in Afghanistan, had no idea. And so, you know, because we had a small force there, there wasn't a lot of activity. These are, you know, kids who were born, you know, 18 years ago. So, you know, we own as Americans part of this as well.
2: Matt, when you start considering commissions and hearings, is this going to be Joe Biden's Benghazi?
3: Uh, Look, I, I think it could be worse because you have you know, Benghazi was over in the middle of the night. Uh, this has, you're seeing photos and developments for, you know, almost a week now. And the ramifications are going to be a lot longer because now it is a safe haven for terror uh, already. Al Qaeda, what has been downplayed a lot, and I think you're going to hear more about it is the Taliban's links with Al Qaeda as of right now are, are quite strong. They don't, they don't need to, to grow. And when you see uh, places like China and Russia react to how we, treated Afghanistan when they relate to say a Ukraine when it comes to Russia or a Taiwan when it comes to China how those provocations will be met uh, and also the re- re- uh, reliability among our allies whether they can trust us whether we'll be there in the tough times which we always have been in a way this has a lot of long range effects
5: I think past a President Biden quite frankly
2: how do you react to that Jeannie is that fair
5: You know, this has involved four presidents, four administrations, as President Biden keeps saying, two Republican, two Democratic. You know, both of our our current president, our previous president, wanted to get out. They wanted to draw down. So I think if we're going to talk about blame, you know, there's a lot of blame, unfortunately, to go around on this one. But I would hope that we could think about this less as blame on President Biden, Trump or Bush or, or Obama or anybody else, and more about lessons to be learned. And you know, just to go back for a minute to, to Biden's speech yesterday, you know, I wish he had done what Kennedy did after Bay of Pigs and talked about lessons to be learned. Instead, he was incredibly defensive. Let's think about lessons going forward versus blame and defensiveness. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we can take away from this.
2: Well, to that end, as we spend time with Jeannie and Matt Gorman, it's not over. Joe Biden's still up at Camp David. Tomorrow's a new day. There are new opportunities uh, to address the American people. There are also new opportunities uh, to draw new policies Matt, what can Joe Biden say as he comes down from the mountain here at some point this week from Camp David to reassure Americans about what's happening there and and frankly about the commitment of our troops in any theater of combat?
3: I I I think the Biden administration has made a communication strategy. I certainly don't think it's the right one, but they are essentially going to ignore the uh, at least publicly the issues in the ground, and as we said, saw yesterday, make the case that this is solely a false choice between staying forever uh, and pulling out, which they claim is the right thing to do and that yeah. most Americans agree with. They, they're not willing to, to talk about that middle ground of whether they got people out safely. So I think what you're going to try and see by the Biden administration is just pivoting and talking about you know what, what they are doing to get folks out. But they're not going to concede anything. I think that they have made that conscious strategy to really not delve into the details here.
2: Do you worry, Matt, that the GOP risks kind of relishing in the chaos here, criticizing Joe Biden at this sensitive time?
3: Well, no, it, it, look, it's it, it's a bipartisan criticism, number one. And I think as long as there's American citizens on the ground, you know, possibly thousands of them, that Americans can't guarantee their safety, let alone evacuate them. That is something that that certainly game. But I I think broader when it comes to the political aspect of this, this is less about Afghanistan in in, in a vacuum. But whether you look at this inflation, rising gas prices, rising crime, I think what they will be able to make, and this this comparison gets thrown around a lot. I get it. It's a Jimmy Carter-esque comparison where Biden is a bystander to events and not leading them, not shaping them. He's a bystander. And I think as you go into next year, if these things start keep continuing, you're going to hear that.
2: He, that. he said the buck stops with him and he takes full responsibility of what happened. Do you not believe him?
3: Well, that was clearly what they wanted to be the headline, and they seem to have got it. But it, the rest of that speech was blaming the Afghan military, blaming Trump. They knew what they were doing by kind of inserting that in there when mm-hmm. the rest of the speech was anything but. It was cognitive dissonance.
2: How about you, Jeannie? Did you believe that?
5: Um, uh, You know, I think President Biden does believe that the buck stops there, Um, but I I also think that, you know, he he did make a a mistake yesterday, again, in not taking responsibility and telling us how he was going to lead going forward. I would also say this is a tough one for Republicans because, you know— pre-Donald Trump, maybe the old-style Republican Party, the sort of Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney wing, they could make the case about, you know, isolationism and and the end of, you know, the ending these endless wars, about how how that's something that's a Democratic stronghold. But now you've got the most energized part of the Republican Party, the Trump portion, and they agree with Biden and the liberals on this. These are strange bedfellows. These are the Rand Pauls, the Donald Trumps, the Joe Bidens, they're all at one. So this is going to be a hard argument to make. That's why I think Liz Cheney coming out over the weekend was so fascinating, because she now represents this very small aspect of the Republican Party, at least vocally small, that has another view on this. And I think that is an easier case to make versus the Donald Trump wing.
2: Matt Gorman, you spent time as communications director for the National Republican Congressional Committee. Are they writing ads already with the midterms in mind, with images from Kabul, I,
3: I, I think it'll be a part of it, absolutely. And, and again, I, Donald Trump and Joe Biden essentially had wanted the same outcome in Afghanistan. They wanted to pull everybody out. They close, had the close to the same position, yeah. and that's a you know people people who could disagree with that. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and others. That's certainly defensible. I think what you're going to see the GOP criticism is not whether we want to stay in there forever, but how we left whether we put our folks in danger and leaving and leaving people there. That is what you're going to see the
5: line of attack. Mm. Um,
3: And that's how you're going to message this.
2: You know, we have less than a minute, Jeannie. Can you picture those ads already?
5: Oh, I can picture them already. I also can picture the Democrats firing back because it was, of course, Donald Trump who negotiated with the Taliban. And as Matt just says, he agreed with what Biden wanted to do. I agree on the execution was problematic, but Trump didn't address that in particular either.
2: Bloomberg politics contributor Jeanne and Zeno, Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory. We thank you both for trying to help us make sense of all of this, and we'll do it again tomorrow as we swing again in the Wednesday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. News update ahead. We'll have the latest on Greg Abbott testing positive for the virus. We'll get into that tomorrow as well. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
1: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th.